Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 61 of the That's So Mets podcast as your New York Mets wrap up the 2021 baseball season. Man, it was a long one, but at the same time, it's incredible how quickly it flies by. And it really feels like a tale of two seasons with this Mets, with the first half and how long they were in first place. And then I don't know if it's fair to call it a collapse because it, it happened so early in the second half, but obviously just falling apart. After the All-Star break. So episode 61, uh, surprisingly a lot to go through today. Uh, Joe and I are going to each pick the three things that the 2021 Mets taught us. So we'll go through that. Uh, Basically, the biggest takeaways of the season. Uh, A big topic that is a very, very current event situation is, you know, does the qualifying offer make sense for Noah Syndergaard, who finally made his return to a big league mound? Had a really nice inning against the Marlins, uh, a clean inning, two strikeouts and a ground out. So the the big discussion now with Syndergaard is and he said it himself that he thinks they'll get something done and he plans to be back. But there are a lot of avenues of what that contract actually looks like. So Joe and I will discuss that today. And as always, we have a pretty good mailbag uh, up from here. We got at least, you know, six, seven, eight questions. We'll see what we can fit in uh, going through a lot of different stuff. It's going to be offseason heavy from here on out because. Let's be real. The Mets are mathematically eliminated. What's going on on the diamond? It does not have a a mega effect. So we are going to look forward to what this franchise looks like. So, Joe, let's bring you in. Uh, How are you doing? And I know this is kind of besides the draft. I feel like this is the time of year where you get the most excited uh, when we're basically talking about team building from here on out. There's nothing better than armchair GMing. There's nothing better than being able to just sit back and be like, hey, I'm going to fantasy build the Mets and they're going to listen to me. They're not going to listen to me. And yeah, no, I love it. The draft is great. And this is great. It's, it's almost funny that just actual baseball is probably like my third favorite time of baseball. (laughs) Yeah, I I totally get it. I mean, I've done it with football, uh, you know, most of my adult life full time. So covering the draft and now it's fun to kind of do it here with baseball, especially a team that has the assets to make moves and make things happen. And we know, you know, we've said it many times that you and I both expect this to be maybe the most active offseason in the history of the Mets, or at least the most active offseason we've seen in a really, really long time. And and that's going to start with a lot of internal decisions, which is, you know, what we're really going to begin today. Like I said, we're going to talk about Syndergaard, the Javi Baez discussion, the Michael Conforto discussions, uh, players that are under team control, but that might not be here, whether that's Jeff McNeil, J.D. Davis, Dom Smith. Those are going to be discussions that are going to go on for months. But before we get into that, it's episode 61. One random Chan Ho Park, very short stint with the Mets wearing number 61. 
Walker Lockett is the only player to wear number 61 for more than one season. So this is not a popular number in Mets history. I'm sure you're all shocked as we grind through the 60s. Going to be tough. And then Jesse Roscoe wore 61 as a rookie and then switched to 47 for his glory years with the Mets. So not a great number uh, to discuss. (laughs) Do you have any takeaways? I really can't wait till we can fast forward to the good numbers. And then once we get past our 100th episode, and we restart with the single digits. I forgot Chan Ho Park was ever a Met. Um, very forgettable. Sure. Yeah, very forgettable. Don't recall it whatsoever. And uh, Walker Lockett, the famed headlining piece of the Kevin Ploiecki trade. So, yeah, just real riveting stuff as to who wore number 61. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Ploiecki also had some moments this year uh, for the Red Sox, which it's always amazing when I forget about a Met. And then they it, you know, so get this, Joe. This will blow your mind. Ploiecki has hit 289 this year as the backup catcher for the Sox. That's in 62 games. 289. I can't say I would have expected that. I figured he was just a run-of-the-mill backup player. But, you know, it's these catchers are very unpredictable, especially when, yeah. especially when backups, you play such a small amount of games. He plays 60 games. All it takes is like one hot streak and your average is set for the season. Yes, that's exactly right. Trust me. I don't I'm not saying the Mets made a mistake uh, trading him away. Chan Ho Park, a stint with the team. Uh, well, I should be kind calling it a stint. He pitched four innings in one appearance for the team in 2007 and he gave up seven earned runs. So, okay, well, not great. <laughs> not great. Thank you for your contributions, Chan Ho. If it wasn't yeah. for that, they might have uh, they might have made the playoffs in 2007. Yeah, it wasn't for that Chan Ho Park outing. The Chan Ho Park meltdown is what we'll call it. <laughs> so let's get to the important things. Three things the Mets taught us. I'll start with my first one, then I'll kick it to you. And, and this was the most glaring one. Boy, did I get fooled by the 60-game season. And I literally just wrote in our rundown, the 60-game season was mostly nonsense because you almost forget, and that was a weird time in our lives. We you know, were without sports. We missed sports. We were counting down to when you know baseball was going to come to an agreement to play again. There was all kinds of numbers thrown around. And then when they came to the agreement of 60, it was really stupid, but it was also this relief like, wow, at least we're going to have baseball this year. And a lot of players on the Mets had huge offensive seasons, but the rotation was about as big of a disaster as you can imagine, thanks to the Will Pond's laughable solutions on the free agent market. So it just it taught me that and I, I've known this, but it, it magnified it, how streaky of a game baseball is how long of a season it is and that, you know, a guy can get hot for 60 games and maybe not have a great season or not be an answer or a guy. Perfect counter example. Pete Alonso looked lost for about 54 games of the 60 game season. And Pete Alonso was the most consistent thing about the Mets this year in the lineup. So and Pete is going to be a big time player here, I think, for at least the next six to eight years. So my biggest takeaway really is just that, wow, how much you can get fooled by a a fake baseball season. For me, my first one, I'm going to go with this team needs a change at the core. And that is on field with the players. That's the hiring process. 
of executives, obviously with the Jared Porter situation, the Zach Scott situation, um, with the public relations. I mean, that's been a thing forever. Uh, just I, there's so many things that happened this year. That's just like, that's so Mets, right? I mean, that's got the whole thought process when we started this podcast was this is great. We're moving into new ownership. There's going to be Steve Cohen. Things are going to change. And, you know, of course, it won't happen overnight. Rome wasn't built in a day. But I thought the stink of that so Mets would be like dissipating. It's as high as it's ever been. Um, so they need to change at their core, you know, structurally. And then on the field, they they need to make some unpopular roster decisions, I think, this offseason. This is basically the same team that they've been trotting out for a few years now. And they are consistently not a playoff team. So at what point do you just go, look, it may not be popular because, you know, fans love Dom Smith. Fans love Jeff McNeil. At what point are you looking at those players and saying change has to happen with the core of this roster because it, it's you're not going to get different results. It's the uh, old adage, you know, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And that's ultimately what the Mets have been now for a few years. So hopefully they make the right hire for a new president of baseball operations or GM, whatever they want to call him. And he's able to correct some of the public relations stuff, not get himself into trouble one way or another. And, you know, obviously with the roster on the field, turn it into the winner that Steve Cohen wants and the fans want. Yeah, there's no doubt. I I'm totally with you on board. Uh, you know, there's going to be some emotions involved, maybe from some of the fan base. And I think, what we will learn from this front office, and we don't know what that front office is going to look like yet, is can you put away the emotions to make difficult decisions that are for the better of the future of the team? And, and when I say things like that, I, I mean letting Michael Conforto walk or or sticking your sticking to your ground and saying we're only going to pay this much on a Michael Conforto extension or we're only going to offer the qualifying offer and nothing else. We'll take the draft pick if he walks. And this is not just the Conforto thing. It goes back to, are we going to overpay for, you know, any player that's up? Or do we believe in the Javi Baez we saw in a Mets uniform compared to when he first got here or the the begin, first half of the year with the Cubs? Do we think that we've unlocked something with Baez that he is a $25 million player per year over five to six years for us? And that by, we are going to make the identity of this team, Lindor and Baez, up the middle for the next half a decade together, plus pitching. Those are things that they they involve emotion, and, and it's tough to, you know, with those decisions are going to come changes in other places. So I'm with you all the way. I think that's a great takeaway. Uh, and, and my, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I think what will be great is the outside addition to president of baseball operations has Ho none. Hopefully they come in and obviously there's no emotional attachment to the players and they could just look at them, you know, as they are players to help a winning roster. And that's the hope that, you know, it's a Billy Bean or a Theo Epstein or a David Stearns or whoever they hire, they come in with a fresh mindset and have the autonomy to be like, I understand that maybe the Mets fans like this guy, but he's not, you know, the player that I want to build this winner here. And they have to be willing to make decisions that 
The New York Post might write bad things about them. <laughs> the fans might be mean on Twitter. Just suck it up. Unpopular decisions often can be the right move. That's absolutely right. It, it absolutely is right. And it's, you know, there's plenty of times where you and I might not like something and it might be the right move or, or you know, vice versa. So, all right. The next takeaway for me is this is like almost a kind of funny one and not funny because it's probably the reason that the Mets season fell apart. There is truly never enough pitching depth. And what I mean by that is, do you remember our conversations in March where we were like, how are they going to have a six man rotation and like, who's going to be the odd man now? And then we were like, and also if everybody gets hurt, like you still have Jordan Yamamoto and you still have this guy and you still have this guy. We were saying things like they have an eight. They have eight guys ready to throw. They were going to have a problem when Syndergaard and Carrasco came back because who was going to get the boot from the rotation. And here we are where they needed to go out and acquire Rich Hill. They got a total surprise in Tyler McGill pitching in the big leagues for a long time this year. And the fact that I know Taiwan Walker had a pretty miserable second half, but he had an all-star first half. You just never know. It is so unpredictable. There are so many injuries to arms. And what you learn more than ever is when guys are on the wrong side of 30 across the league, it's not just the Mets, they get hurt. DeGrom missed a ton of time this year. Carlos Carrasco missed a ton of time this year. Marcus Stroman, before you know it, and I hope they keep him, smaller guy, keeps himself in great shape. There's no denying that. Uh, has a routine that's worked for him. But when you're on the wrong side of 30, things are going to be out of your hands. I'm not saying he's not going to be healthy or not going to be effective. I'm just saying you need to be prepared uh, for injuries. And and I will never, ever say, oh, they got eight starting arms this year. They're good. There's never enough. No, there will never be enough pitching. I will say, and you know, I'm sure we could old takes expose this next year. I can't imagine the Mets having the level of injury that they had this year again. I mean, they legitimately almost set the big league record. I, I kind of stopped. I was really tracking each day for like new players. Um, They're right up against the major league record for players used in the season. So I don't know that they're going to be that hurt again, but totally agree. You know, that's kind of why I'm looking at the rotation. I know that's a question, so we'll really dive into it later, but I'm looking to have a rotation where Tyler McGill and David Pearson are frontlining the Syracuse rotation, not being in the rotation in the big leagues. So, uh, yeah, totally agree. You can never have enough pitching. And let's let's learn a lesson ourselves here and not be like, well, oh, well, well how are they going to make room? This, this stuff will always, always work itself out. I will never discuss it again. Just let you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, my next uh Thing that the 2021 Mets taught me is to not take Jacob DeGrom for granted. Um, obviously, as you just mentioned, he missed a ton of time. And I think in a sense, we knew every fifth day Jake was going to go out there and Jake was going to throw a shutout. And you kind of just took you just took what Jacob DeGrom brought to the table for granted. But now being on the other side of 30, some things are starting to go here and there. Seems like by all accounts, nothing major going on. You're going to be able to, you know, have a normal off season with him and see him in spring training. And hopefully he's good to go. 
But I think, uh, you know, don't take Jacob deGrom and everything he brings to the table for granted because uh, he's not a replaceable asset as we very much saw this year. And you don't often get to see an all-time great in your lifetime. lifetime. I mean, how often do we talk about the greats of football or baseball? And it's guys that played before we were born or when we were 10 years old. And DeGrom's, you know, a living Hall of Famer, all-time great, you know, probably behind Seaver, the second best Mets pitcher of all time. And we get to enjoy him. So don't take DeGrom for granted because at his age and things going on, who knows how much longer, you know, he'll be pitching. Totally. I mean, special player. Uh, he's been a, a special story for the New York Mets. And, you know, there is a part of me that is really glad for reasons beyond the obvious that they are going to be, I think, all in the next two to three years on winning a World Series because DeGrom, I, you know, he could opt out after next year, but that's another discussion for another day with so many variables that you would think if he's himself, the team's going to keep one of their greatest players of all time around. You want to try to win championships when the face of your franchise is here, right? They unfortunately never got to cross that finish line with David Wright. And sadly, for most of David Wright's career, they were not all in or competitive. In 2015, the man was a shell of himself. And, I, you know, great moment hitting that World Series home run. But David Wright was not the, the star of that team or a constant with that team. So... Yeah, it would it would be something special if the Mets can win a World Series when DeGrom is here, because I think it would elevate his status of New York legend uh, to a totally different dimension that, you know, this city has not really seen in a while. Let's call it like it is. It, you know, the Yankees haven't done anything in a while. The Mets, they were in the World Series in 2015, but it's been a long time since they won one. Jets and the Giants are in the cellar right now. You know, the Knicks and the Nets have their positives, but, you know, do it just goes down to, and of course, hockey, it's just, it really can elevate your status to a different level. So DeGrom, I'm with you all the way. Don't take him for granted. Hopefully he stays healthy next year and, and hopefully he's pitching in the playoffs again in some big time games. So my last one on here kind of has to do with that. And I've, this is a stance that I've completely changed my mind on over this year. I will not miss pitchers hitting it at all. Not in the slightest bit. The, there's a lot of, things that have to do with this one the 60 game season with the dh actually really enjoyed having the dh uh, i like watching an extra bat that would normally be on your bench get to play every day number two i cannot believe the amount of injuries that happened to these guys you know from hitting Degrom had multiple injuries this year and obviously the biggest one with the elbow was not from hitting but he had multiple injuries that cost him time in the first half from hitting. Taiwan Walker got banged up hitting. It's just over and over again. These guys get hurt hitting. A ton of relievers. It's happen it happens to. Obviously, they never get to hit. So when they do, it could throw them out of whack. Like I, I won't miss it at all. I can't wait for the DH. I can't wait for pitchers to not get hurt doing this. And quite frankly, the last one, which is just like very Met centric. I, I have no numbers on this or anything like that. How many times this year did the Mets have a runner in scoring position and the pitcher was up? I swear with two outs or an and it out. was always Rich Hill. And it, it was, was always, always Rich, Rich Hill. Hill, dude. It and 
I mean, God bless the guy, 40 something years old up there. He had some of the ugliest at bats I have ever seen, man. Like, ever seen. Like, when Stroman gets up there, athlete. When DeGrom gets up there, I'm more confident in DeGrom getting a hit than half of the guys in the lineup. That's how good of a hitter he is. You know, Cindergard is, and I know he didn't get to hit this year, but Cindergard has been a good hitter. Um, you know, even Walker, when he switched to the other side of the plate, had a couple hits. Like, when it was always Rich Hill, and it was just like, wow, this is going to be a three-pitch at-bat, and he's not going to come close to a single one. So my final takeaway from 2021 is I never, ever want to see a pitcher hit ever again. Except for Shohei Otani, exception to the rule. Yeah, to- yeah <laughs> um, it's totally yeah. different. But, yes. but pitchers get hurt hitting, and pitchers don't even care to bunt anymore. So if you ha- if you li- if you lived on the world of not having the pitchers hit remove some quote unquote strategy from the game which basically is just like don't sacrifice bunt as much yawn that then yeah i think i'm good without it and my last one i missed being at city field when the mets were competing and they were for you know we obviously are looking back here at the end that they it did fall apart and um they obviously were mathematically eliminated and they're competing to potentially have a top 10 draft pick out of nowhere. But those couple months where the Mets were in first place, going to City Field with a full house of fans again, and the Mets playing winning, meaningful baseball, the energy at City Field when the Mets are winning is, you know, unmatched. Like, I don't think Yankee Stadium has the energy like this. Mets fans are different. Um, the excitement when they're a winner is immense. That place like shakes basically. And I can't wait for the day where this is a regular occurrence that the Mets are contending and it's not, Hey, hopefully, you know, in the next few years, they'll be able to to put together a winner. I'm hoping, you know, this time next year, we're not talking about what draft pick the Mets will have. And we're talking about how are we setting up the NLDS rotation and city field. There's not a, you know, I loved Shea and Shea was amazing during 2006 and everything. But, you know, City Field 2015 is like a year I'll obviously always remember uh, all the comebacks in season and then obviously the playoff to World Series run. And City Field, I think, is truly a special place when the Mets are winning. I totally am on board with that. I, going to some games in the first half and it just, yeah, it felt totally different. It felt you know, not 2015, but we were getting back to, hey, everybody's excited about the Mets. You know, and you watch the 86 doc on ESPN, the 30 for 30, and you realize how special this town is when the Mets are good, because despite, you know, the power that the Yankees brand has, the Mets have a, I mean, the fact that the Mets fan base is as big and as loud as it is right now, considering everything the fan base has been through for the last decade plus, just goes to show you how special it is. And there is something different about walking around when the Mets are good with a Mets jersey, shirt, hat, whatever it is on. And a complete stranger you don't know, obviously, yells to you or or says something to you about the team. Or I remember when I was down the shore last winter um, visiting my parents, I was walking uh, along the beach with my Mets hat on. And this guy that's like 90 years old sitting on a bench so like they better extend that shortstop 
And I just looked back at him and it was like hilarious that this man is like 90 years old and his number one thing on his mind is like, man, you better get the Lindor extension done. But that is the Mets fan base and it trickles all the way into the stadium and City Field is a pretty awesome place, um, you know, for a lot of things that have gone wrong with, you know, knocking down great stadiums and, and building new ones that might err more on the corporate side of things. City Field has uh, avoided all of those things and it's awesome. And when the team is good, it's a great place to be. It really is. So I, I like that. It was kind of our little sum up of the season with, you know, things that you hope are different next year, because I. This wasn't as bad of a season as like it, it's felt like the last two months because you can see certain things like I think when, you know, after the tough stretch, I think Lindor got right. Uh, I'm excited about Javi Baez and hope that he's here for the future because I just love watching him play there. There is signs of life. Obviously, Nimmo had a had a fantastic year and improved in center field and looks like the leadoff guy. But there's just a lot that has to change like your first point, Joe that this team needs to change at its core. And one of those things that's going to involve in this decision is what is the future for Noah Syndergaard like? And I just kind of want your your ultimate takeaway on this. Does the qualifying offer make sense for Noah Syndergaard? Or, and he even vocally has said I, he would love to get it. Or do you think they try to get a number lower than that? It is the most painfully obvious move of the <laughs> offseason to just make him the qualifying offer. He's basically said he's going to take it and move on. I mean, people, yes, sure. Would would it be cool if he got paid a little less from a payroll standpoint? Sure, fine. But we're not operating in a Wilpon era anymore where each million dollars or $3 million really makes a difference, especially when you're talking about a one-year deal. And there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. You look at Last year's starting pitching market, Corey Kluber got $11 million plus incentives. Drew Smiley got $11 million. Charlie Morton got $15 million. If no, if the Mets declined to offer a qualifying offer to Syndergaard, he would go to free agency and he'd probably get somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to $20 million for a year from someone to rebuild his value and, and take a chance. He wants to be here. Uh, he has the training staff that knows his recovery better than anyone. And you're not really going to be able to save all that much money. And you put him out on the market and you never know if he won't come back to you. So make the qualifying offer, suck up the 19 to $20 million for a year it's going to be, and just bring Noah Syndergaard back and bank on that upside for a year. And next year, he gets to be an entirely free agent, much like Stroman this year, uh, where you won't be able to make the qualifying offer to him again. And he'll be able to be free as free could be. And from there, you could determine if he's worth that long-term big money deal or you let him walk out the door. So to me, it's the easiest decision the Mets have this winter is give Syndergaard the qualifying offer and then move on to the much bigger fish you have to fry. Totally. And some obvious things, but that I think need to be said are the qualifying offer has more benefits than just, hey, Cindergard's back. Like, I think one, it gives you insurance that if you didn't take it and you lost them, you get the draft pick. Two, it gives you early notice, right, of a guy that you expect to be in your rotation. And I think time is money this offseason, which I know you want to talk about a little bit as well. 
knowing that it's like last year, right? When Strowman took the qualifying offer, who was like, you kind of clasp your hands together and go, well, that's a key spot in our rotation. And I'm not saying they're going to pencil Syndergaard into the two or three, but he's still a guy that you put in the one through five and go, man, we feel good about him. We're excited about him. We got a guy. So I think the timing of it is key rather than saying, you know, because if you don't go that route, because you want to save five million, right? Say they're like, oh, you know, we'd rather compete with the other teams and we'll match whatever and maybe we'll save five million bucks. Well, you're blown through the luxury tax anyway, right? So why do you feel the need to even worry about the five million dollars when you'd almost rather deal with spending the extra money to know in advance that he's going to be around? So on top of the insurance, once again, that if he did surprisingly reject it, and I don't think he would at all, it sounds like he's almost saying he wouldn't, that you have the insurance of the pick back for him. So I'm with you all the way. This is a non-discussion. I'm shocked how many people, and I saw Anthony DeComo even tweet today, he's shocked at how many people are objecting to this. Mets fans, I know it's in your brain to almost crunch numbers for your favorite baseball team. But I think this is the year where you don't even have to think twice about that because with Cano's money back on the books, it's the inevitable that you're you're not going to be able to stay under the luxury tax. You didn't go over it last year, which is great. You're going to blow through it this year, and that's going to factor in on a lot of in-house money that's added onto the books. And if you want to make any external moves, which we know this team is going to, it's just the inevitable. So the the qualifying offer to me, Joe, I'm with you all the way. Extend it to Syndergaard. Yeah, easiest move that they're going to make all year. And with the luxury tax, you know, I don't have arbitration estimates yet. Those usually come, you know, by the end of October, early November. But I know that between pieces that the Mets want to keep, a Javi Baez or a Conforto, let's just say one of them they look to retain, potentially a Stroman. Cindergard with the qualifying offer. And then I believe they have 17 eligible players for arbitration this offseason, which is a gargantuan number. Um, obviously, some of them may get traded, may not be here. There's a very real possibility that the Mets will be at the luxury tax before they even make a single outside addition. There you go. Um, you, have, you have Aaron Loop to deal with. You have Cano, like you mentioned, his $20 million coming back. So they might be at it before they do anything. So I wouldn't worry about the luxury tax. I wouldn't worry about paying a few million dollars more to Cindergard, uh, especially on a one-year deal. And yeah, just do that. Easy move. Qualifying offer. He'll take it probably before they even finish the words qualifying offer. And you just move on. It goes without saying that we are all missing travel right now. But you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals, flights, and more. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, this view is incredible. More, mmm, another round of room service, please. More, yes. I'm extending my vacation. Sorry, boss. If you're listening, just ignore that last part. Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, check out Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more wow, mmm, and yes, just to name a few. Make sure to download the Priceline app for even more savings. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you've got a shot at greatness. 
Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Start hiring right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job posts at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and condition apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, mailbag time. Let's get into it. This is from Ryan. He said, if Steve Cohen reached out to you in the offseason and asked what one aspect of the Mets as a Major League Baseball franchise needs most improvement, what would your one thing above all else be? All right, that is tough. I think, number one, if you're talking about what the actual personnel of the baseball team, I think for me, it's Joe's first point of the takeaways. This team needs a change at its core. You can't be afraid to make the difficult decisions, whether for the betterment of the future of the franchise, whether that is, you know, letting a Conforto walk or trading, you know, a package of maybe, you know, Dom Smith and J.D. Davis or, you know, flipping guys to upgrade certain positions, right? Trading a piece that you might actually really like, but in return, you're upgrading an area that's been abysmal for you. So I think, and quite frankly, I don't really trust Sandy to be the guy to do that. And so the ultimate answer to that question is you got to get somebody in charge of baseball operations that is creative, that's hungry, that's motivated, that has enough experience winning, and that is not afraid to make the bold move that, like Joe said, the New York Post might not agree with. For sure. I mean, that makes all the sense in the world. For me, I'm going to go with the public relations side of things. I mean, it's been the Mets, bad. Yeah. The Mets need the Mets need to stop being the laughing stock of baseball. They need the, you know, that's so I've, I've said it earlier in the show. That's so Mets. We're hoping like it's a fun joke to look back at, not currently still live in it. I want to be able to look back and be like, hey, Connor, you remember the days when that so Mets was just like all the dumb stuff they did? To me, find a way to fix the public relations here. Try to fix, you know, the hiring, all the internal stuff. Like the Mets need to become a much more sound organization from a public standpoint. And I know for some people, they probably don't care about that. But me, I'm I'm sick of having to talk about some of these dumb things like the rat and raccoon thing. Like we had to waste breath on that. We had to waste breath on the the fans are booing the players. So the players are booing the fans like we need to stop doing th- that kind of stuff. And if they're able to fix that, I know I don't know how easy it is. The Mets have certainly a uh, a long list of things that need to be fixed. But to me, that would be at the forefront of the list. And obviously, you know, on field, let's just call it simple: like get better players and win baseball win games. games. Yep. yep. I mean, hell, to your first point, look at the two guys they hired as assistant G- as GM of the team. You know, it's the mis- I don't want to say even mistakes because they're 
way worse than mistakes. Um, you know, the off field incidents that they had, it's, it's just, it's unbearable and it's unacceptable. So, all right, next one from Mets fan 04. While lots of Mets fans are saying the team should sign Carlos Correa to play third base, do we even know how he would be defensively at that position? He doesn't have any games played at third in the majors and only one single game played at third in the minors 2015 for double a my two cents on Correa is he is very young for a free agent, which is great. He has an injury history. He will cost a draft pick to sign him. Um, he's a great player, but in reality, I'm going to be honest here and people might think I'm nuts for saying this. He is very low on my my free agent wish list at the moment, to be completely honest. What do you think? And he's going to cost over $200 million, too. So, Everything combined, yeah. it's not for me. Yeah. Let me just say to me, that. It, to me, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, I, I agree. You know, he played third base at the World Baseball Classic. Him, Lindor, and Javi Baez made up uh, three-fourths of Team Puerto Rico's infield. But to me, I find it very interesting. One of the biggest complaints about the Mets is ugh, they just keep putting people out of position why why is this any different like what just because carlos correa is an awesome hitter and he is an awesome hitter just because of that we should forget the fact that he's never played third base before so i think this is an astute point uh by mets fan 04 and yeah correa is not someone i'm overly interested in and you know i think people on twitter uh don't like hearing that i'm you know i appreciate the player he is uh, but the Mets can't get into the business of giving out a hundred plus million dollar deals, or in the case of Correa, two hundred plus million dollar deals year after year to player after player. You just can't do it. And to me, third base should be something that's filled with a short term quality option or a player like a Chris Bryant who you could play him at third base and then. I, people also don't like to hear about prospects, but I'm sure as hell going to talk about him. You have Brett Beatty and you have Mark Vientos on the precipice of the major leagues. They're both probably going to start 2022 in AAA. Mark Vientos is going to get added to the 40-man roster. So these guys are going to be options probably at some point next year. So I'm not looking to make some long-term commitment to third base because I think it's honestly the position for the long-term in the farm system they are best prepared to fill. That doesn't even mention Ronnie Mauricio, who I think best transitions as a third baseman at the major league level so every prospect doesn't work out but if i tell you you got three chances you gotta imagine one of them does you, you nailed it there it is the one spot that you feel one of the three big prospects are going to be a hit at there and you know for the crowd that might say well you always talk about how they're in win now mode I mean, I'm completely okay with bringing back Jonathan VR on a deal that's going to be what one tenth of what Correa gets to hold the Ford until those guys come up in 2022 or at the latest 2023. And then VR is your super utility. So, you know, something you and I have both mentioned in the past is if you really want to spend some money, you could sign a guy like Chris Bryant that has right field flexibility. So I know it sounds crazy. Correa just turned 27 years old. That is insanely young for a superstar free agent. He's a great baseball player all around game, but and he deserves to get a mega deal. It's not for me. It's not on my wish list because my opinion of this is if you did go out and get Correa, 
then you probably lost Javi Baez. And I don't want to lose Javi Baez. And on top of that, you're losing the draft pick too. There, there's a lot of problems. It's a really great question from Mets Fan 04 because it's it's insane to pick holes at signing a player like Carlos Correa. But to me, it's easy to do in this situation. And you have to poke holes. Now that the Mets are a big spender, before yeah. with the Will, with the Wilpons, it was just like, Hell, if they'll if they'll sign anyone for big money, I'll take them. <laughs> now yeah. it's now it's a little different. You have to be, you know, not necessarily picky, but you have to be smart about where you're investing. Uh, to me, I think what's going to be really interesting is with the new CBA coming up. Um, are they are they going to institute a salary floor? So there won't be a salary cap. MLBPA will never ever sign a CBA that has that. But there could be a floor, and if there's a floor. Look at a team like the Baltimore Orioles, who would need to spend a lot of money, and their GM was, you know, part responsible for the drafting of Correa back in Houston, or the Detroit Tigers, another team that needs to spend a lot of money, and you could get Correa back with AJ Hinch. So it'll be interesting to see his market, but he's going to get a ton of money, and I'd be, you know, pretty shocked if the Mets were a team to issue that to him. Totally with you. It's yeah, it'll be really interesting. I just think that it's just it's the one big fish that is a great player. There's just no denying it. It this is the one it's the one thing they just don't really need to do here. They they need a lot of help in other areas. And, you know, it's probably from talking to you every week, but I feel like third base is the spot where I'm excited about the youngsters and in, in the farm system. How could you not be? Vientos just had one of the best minor league seasons of anybody this year across double A ball. So I don't know. All right. From this one from Billy Shutt. He said Stroman has to be a must sign at this point, but he strikes me as a guy who wants to hear offers from multiple clubs in his first free agency. What do you think it'll take to re-sign him? I'm with you all the way, Billy. I think Stroman and there's nothing wrong with this. It feels good to be uh, wanted. I think Stroman will want to be wanted, and I'm sure that he will love to hear his options. Um, I'm not Marcus Stroman, so I don't know where he wants to play or if he has a preference of where he wants to play or if he's just going to go to the highest dollar, or if he cares more about the longest term. Uh, there's so many variables with Stroman. So I would think he cares about term more than anything because he just took the qualifying offer as his one-year risky prove-it deal, and he went out and proved it. So now go get your long-term deal. My final take on Stroman is I, I think it'll be... I'll go somewhere like five years, 110 on the high and then I could also see maybe even like four slash 85 what am I crazy here Joe I don't think so I think it'll be maybe a tick higher on the AAV because you're talking basically what 20 a year or so yeah around there hovering yeah Yeah, 22 21 yeah I think it'll be a little above you know in probably in the 22 to 24 range if I had to guess based on you know his durability is something that isn't a thing in baseball. I mean, how many pe- how many pitchers do we talk about? Oh, they're going to have, you know, a innings limit or a pitch count because of the shortened season. Well, Stroman threw zero innings last year and he's about he's going to lead Major League Baseball in starts. So, I totally agree with Billy that I think Stroman should be right near the top of their list as someone that they have to keep and my hunch would be 4 to 5 years, 22 to 24 million a year, just just a guess. Um if you're comfortable with that, then Stroman's your guy. If not, you have to find a way to replace him. So uh, 
it'll be interesting to see his free agency. Stroman is a unique individual who I don't know what he's driven by. I don't know if he's going to be driven by top dollar, top length. Winning market. Winning, yeah, winning a destination. Uh, Does he want to be in New York? He, you know, seems to embrace the big city, which I think is a great thing. Um, But he, like every other free agent, can and should pursue every opportunity. Um, You only get to be a free agent and be able to get a big long-term deal once, maybe twice in your career. So he should take his time feel everything out, see what he wants. And uh, I imagine the Mets will be in contact with him through it to the end. And, you know, I, I have some hopes that he'll be back. Okay. The next one from James Costanzo kind of relates to this last topic and the Syndergaard topic. He said the Mets 2022 starting rotation is dot, 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 fill in the blank. Well, we know DeGrom is going to be here and, you know, that Carrasco is going to be back. Right. Taiwan Walker is going to be back. So those are kind of the three that you write in with ink. And I would imagine trying to get inside the mind of whoever smart mind they hire as the baseball ops person would try to write Taiwan is Taiwan in as the fifth starter, which is the money he got on the deal he got. So that makes sense. Carrasco, you hope he can get healthy and back to form and, and really get settled and is more of that four. So then you have him and a Walker as the four or five. You could flip them either way. And then you got DeGrom as your one, which they know a lot more about his long-term health than us. But we're going to keep this argument a little more simple and assume he's the one. So then you're looking at filling in the two, three. Well, what do you label Syndergaard is right now? Because it, it would be shocking if Syndergaard's not back here. Something went really wrong if he's not. Do you feel comfortable calling Syndergaard a three for next year? I, I don't know if I do, but let's just say for sake of argument here, we have a three. So that leaves the number two spot open. And you're looking at either re-signing Marcus Stroman, and then you have guys like Joe said earlier, McGill and Peterson as your, you know, sixth, seventh kind of starters. You'll add a couple more arms because we had our whole, you can have a pitching conversation. Or do you explore a different external free agent for that number two spot? Or is there a big time trade that we did not see coming? Where, where are you going here? I think keep it easy. I think the rotation should just be DeGrom, Stroman, Syndergaard, Carrasco, Walker. I think yeah, that's, fine. What the, that's what it should be. Um, obviously, if Stroman doesn't want to be here or his price gets out of control, um, do you try to convince Max Scherzer that New York's not a bad place? Uh, do you take a one-year flyer on a guy like a Justin Verlander who's a free agent? Um, is there is there a new Taiwan Walker? Like, who's this year's Taiwan Walker? A guy that maybe falls through the cracks, signs... Uh, a lower value deal and ends up being a big impact player. So to me, I think the easy answer is just keep what you got for the rotation and the changes should be coming on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Cause the pitching, you know, obviously the injuries is what killed them, but the pitchers themselves weren't the reason that the Mets didn't win this year. It was the fact that they didn't hit the baseball and nobody did. Uh, so I'm perfectly comfortable just bringing back Stroman and Syndergaard and saying, this rotation will be just fine. We can win with it and obviously continue to add depth and, and more arms for the case of injury and underperformance. But the focus for improvement to me uh, should be squarely on the offensive side of the ball. Totally. I, I mean, we saw what this rotation can do when they're healthy. You feel better having guys like McGill and Peterson as the if somebody or when somebody gets hurt kind of guys. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know if I expect them 
you know, like I said, they're going to hire a baseball ops guy that's a lot smarter than me that might not like how Marcus Stroman projects from ages 31 to 35, right? And they'd rather trade for a 27-year-old and give up a piece. Or maybe they do sign Correa, and then you trade two of those big third-base prospects. I don't know. But there's a lot of different avenues that it can go. But I think as we sit here in the beginning of October, end of September, the easiest thing to tell you is the most clear path is DeGrom, Stroman, Syndergaard, Carrasco, Walker, and that with the right lineup, the right defense, you can win a lot of ball games with those guys. So the next one from Steve Miller, any concern about Baez potentially being like Cespedes? Midseason trade goes off offensively, gets a big deal, and then proceeds to tank. I think Baez is much better than Cespedes, younger, better defense, better head on his shoulders. Still a mild concern to me. What do you think, Joe? Uh, sure. I mean, I think it's a very real, real issue. Um, Javi Baez, I mean, we're talking about his approach change, right? Like, is it for real or is he going to get five years, $130 million and go back to on basing 290? Uh, you don't know. So from just a pure baseball perspective, the my thing with Baez is I don't know how great of a long-term investment he is, but obviously Javi Baez makes a significant difference on the 2022 Mets winning. So that's going to factor into the negotiation. And I think that he's a guy that they want to bring back. Um, but as far as off field and things like that, I mean, the swing scares me as far as injuries go. Like I can envision obliques and things like that happening with him with such a violent swing. Um, his aggressiveness on the base paths is a great thing, but it also could lead to more injuries. So I think his play style is not one that will age well. Um, I just would have liked to make sure it's written in his contract that he doesn't have farms and he doesn't deal with uh, uh, what what was it? Uh, the animal that attacked Cespedes and ruined his ankles. <laughs> um, why am I for, why am I drawing a blank? The boar? It was like a hot, the boar. There you go. I yeah. can think of a boar. Yeah. Like an agreement that you don't have a farm that could potentially have wild boar on it. Um, but yeah, Cespedes had bad feet, which was kind of the end of him. But I think from a baseball perspective, there is some level of comparison where it's, there's some flaws in his game that maybe are not the best long-term investment, but obviously the short term could be insanely impactful. Yeah, it's interesting looking at the two, right? Cespedes, number one, played way too heavy. I know he was a pretty muscular guy, but he he played at way too large of a weight. After that miracle run in 2015, the Mets did sign him to a three-year, $75 million contract, which was smart, but it had an opt-out after the first season, right? So at that time, you look at it and go, the first extension, I mean, he was an all-star that year in 2016. He was playing for the opt-out, of course. He had a monster 2016. He was 30 years old. And Baez, a little different. He will be turning 29 this winter. So you are saving one year for a player that, in my opinion, is in much better physical shape, that part of his game is defense and speed that he seems to enjoy, by the way. It's not like he's just... He actually... I think he really likes that part of his game. So those are the more positives with Javi. You're absolutely right, Joe. There's injury concern with the swing. He's He's been banged up at times because of how, you know, he's kind of got that Bryce Harper style play where it's like 120 miles an hour. And while that can win you a lot of baseball games, it can keep you out of a lot of baseball games. That's just what you get with Javi. If you want to take the good, you got to take the risky 
right? Not bad, risky. So, and then with Cespedes, he got after he opted out in 2016 as a 31 year old free agent. You know, they gave him the the big time four year deal, and you know he had a good 2017 until he was hurt, and then that was that. He was never really good again. I I think it's different with Baez, and I know I'm a I'm biased here. I'm a fan of the player. I liked him before he got here. I, I want them to keep him. I think there's an element to it with him being with Lindor that he has somebody that can get through to him when things are going wrong. I think that's really important. I never felt like that with Cespedes. I never thought Cespedes was this problem that at times the New York media made him out to be, but I never necessarily thought he, besides 2015, was the the answer you know, for the entire team that they needed him to be. With Baez, I, I don't really think he'll be viewed as that. I think he'll be viewed as a big piece, but I think he's viewed as a, you know, one of the pieces here, not a superhero all the time. So there's a lot of differences while there are risk and similarities like you mentioned, but I'm comfortable with giving him the big deal um, because to be honest with you, all the things I just went through, you can do them for pretty much anybody that's going to get a payday. You know, Correa, I already said it. Correa's had his, you know, fair share of not being able to play of being hurt. And it goes on and on. Chris Bryant, tons of injuries before. Um, you know, there's these guys, there's injury risk with all of them, and you just have to pick your spot. But in terms of long-term fit here, and we'll find out if he wants to be here, I think Baez is a really good long-term fit here. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think they have a long-term plan for him. I think Lindor wants him here. I think, I think he wants to be here. You know, I think he's just saying what he should through the media. I'm sure his agent's advising him, like, just say you want to test the market, say you don't know if you'll be back, all that stuff. That's To me, it's all negotiation. I think he wants to be here. Um, but obviously, he, the Mets need to pay him the right deal to do so. And we have we just don't know what his market's going to be. And I think the amount of questions surrounding him or concerns or whatever word you prefer to use uh, will kind of dictate what his market ends up. I don't think I don't think he's going to be getting two hundred million dollars. Um, but I don't think I so guess. You, but I guess you never know. Uh, I, I don't expect it. And you know, I think I've said I said this last week. My full expectation is that Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor, for better or worse, are your middle infield for the next handful of years. And let's not forget with Baez, I mean, he's won a World Series and been a championship player. And after that championship season, he also had two all-star appearances. So they're, you know, MVP candidate season. Like there, there's a lot with him there that intangibles that he does bring to the team that is that is different. And you know, going back to what you said about how he's been speaking, I I found it really interesting that he brought up, you know, whether I'm here or not, these guys are going to win down the road like that. He he was just he he came off like he was very impressed with the clubhouse and what they have here. And, uh, you know, I can't say it enough. I hope he's here for all of it. So last question of today's show. We got to always got to mix in a fun one. This is from Jim D he said, what is your go to brewery and favorite beer to drink while watching the Mets? No fast food. We have been doing a lot of fast food talk. <laughs> so. I guess if we have a favorite brewer, you don't necessarily have to go to the brewery um, and favorite beer to drink while watching the Mets. I'll let you take this away. You, you, this is what's good about. And we need to get this as a, a sponsor on the show at some point. You and I are both big craft beer guys, actually. So this is a yeah. very fitting question. Yeah, my favorite brewery, because I'm, I'm from Connecticut, is Two Roads, which great, I think. Great, great one. Yeah, you brought me yeah. plenty of it. 
Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's right. I did at, yep, the, at, at the, the Jets, Jets tail. Yeah. Jets tailgate. Yeah. So um, two roads is my go-to. Um, it's twenty minutes from my house and five minutes when I'm in the office from the office. So it's very conveniently located. Uh, they have awesome beers and they've expanded. I think they're in New York and Northern Jersey now. Um, so you mm, could you could, could you deliver could, to me. You could potentially find some two roads. It'll probably be either kind of generic releases. Uh, but they do a bunch of good seasonal stuff. And if you're from Connecticut and you're into craft beers, I guarantee you've been to or have drank Two Roads. Uh, so that's certainly my go-to as far as a brewery goes. And when I'm watching the Mets at home, it really depends kind of the weather. I really do drink to the weather. Like now that it's getting cooler, I'm going to drink, you know, more amber stuff and, you know, more fall type of beers. Um, if it's nice and summery, I'm drinking a sour or a lighter lager kind of thing like that. It really is seasonal for me as to what I drink. Uh, the only one I don't like is I hate stouts because I don't like coffee and I feel like every stout tastes like coffee. And yeah, so winter time, I'm not drinking with the season because basically winter beers are all very, very dark and almost stouty type of stuff. And that is not my cup of tea. Yeah, so for me, my favorite in, and I'm not a big stout guy either. Like, I obviously will drink a Guinness when appropriate, but it's not my far, far from my go to. Um, in Jersey, it's Icarus, which is closer to down the shore. I love just about everything they make. Um, and I've been to the tap room twice now. Phenomenal, phenomenal beer. In New York, up in Buffalo, 42 North is a favorite of mine. I really need to get a day and go out to Connecticut and we'll, we'll do two roads, maybe even uh, be total weirdos and bring our mics and just do a show from two roads. We'll see. But yeah, I, you know, and then when you look at favorite beer to drink while watching the Mets, you kind of nailed it. It depends on the day, like a summer Saturday, I could sit there and, and drink Modelo after Modelo or at City Field. Uh, surprisingly, I, I will just drink Modelo at City Field, but I'm not really going to be out in the hot sun on a weekend in City Field drinking IPAs. But you know, when the Mets were playing October baseball, it is nice to have an Oktoberfest themed beer or even some kind of fall or pumpkin ale mixed in or a good fall IPA. But unfortunately, those will have to be saved for football season as well. And I don't know about you, Joe. I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but uh, are you a sour guy at all? It's a very it's, I, yeah. it's my favorite thing because I like me too. I like. So I like sour anything, sour candy, sour, whatever. The same way. It's a very uh, what, specific palate. It is. So like my girlfriend hates sour stuff. She thinks yeah, she thinks sour beers taste like throw up, and I don't I don't get it. I think they're great. Um, and funny, back when I was a kid, um, I used to go to, to summer camp, and I could eat warheads after warheads after warheads. I used to collect money from people they'd be like i'll give you five dollars if you put six warheads in your mouth at once i'm like give me the warheads Easy. give me five bucks i'm in um so yeah sour for me all the way i could sour is the one beer that i feel i could drink all year round yeah same here i will always whenever i go to a tap room if they have a sour that's being tapped i'll always order it unless it's, it's got to be like so off the rails bizarre for me not to uh, and don't get me wrong, when they miss, they really, really oh, miss. Yeah. No but doubt. when it hits, it, I'm all about it. So, But it's funny because it is truly the one beer or even alcohol in general, I find, that people, there is no middle ground. I've never met a person that's like, oh, yeah, I'd have a sour, but like it's not my favorite. Everybody is either like, 
That is the, like I the last time I handed my mom a sour, she literally did the like, ugh, that's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I think it's like the best thing I've ever had. So yeah. it's it's got to be just the palate uh, or maybe an acquired taste. I have no idea what it is, but man, uh, a really good question. And that wraps up episode 61. And this is going to be pretty much the format of the show for the next couple months with a lot. We'll always, we say it every time we'll always do the long winded discussions and predictions and all that stuff on the podcast. And then when the actual transactions, hires, signings, trades, extensions happen, those go to the YouTube. So when you want, when you know there's immediate stuff, check the YouTube. Uh, when you just want your show every Wednesday, this is a rare, this is the first time ever. I think you and I recorded late. We always record on Tuesday evenings. This time we recorded during the day on Wednesday, rare schedule conflict. Um, then you'll always check your podcast apps on Wednesdays. So closing thoughts, Joe, episode 61. So I'm, I'm not one for free advertisement, but I do have something to advertise here for my buddy, Keith Blacknick over at the Queens baseball convention. Um, I've been a part of the QBC for three years or the last three QBCs. I've been on the stay of the Mets panel. I got the boot from the stay of the Mets panel this year for some reason. I don't know why, but, uh, wow. What's I, up with, I, you've only gotten so much bigger. That doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I have, I have to have a conversation with Mark Healy that much. I know you are um, the draft, the Mets draft guy, yeah, like on I, SNY TV and the yeah. co-host of the, that's so Mets podcast. You, you would think, but, I will be involved in the QBC one way or another. I did see one of our uh, one of our followers did ask a question if either of us are going to go to the QBC. I intend to be there, whether it's on a panel or if I just get to go and hang out as a fan, I will be there. Uh, Connor, maybe it's something you could look into. So here's some details about the QBC if you don't know. Uh, the Queens Baseball Convention is a convention for the fans by a fan. Uh, so it's But it is presented by SNY my good friends over at SNY. So that's a cool thing. Um, there's going to be panels and autograph signings by Gary Cohen, Ron Darling, and former Met great Todd Frazier, amongst others. Um, there'll be other vendors. There'll be prizes. There'll be mascots and more. Um, admission is $25. It's at Mulcahy's Pub and Concert Hall in, I can barely say the word platoon or platoon, uh, Juan, Juan Juan Tog, Long Island. Someone, you, you guys who listen probably live there, so you're laughing. So whatever that is, Juan Tog, Juan, Juan uh, Tickets and info go to queensbaseballconvention.com. And that event is on Saturday, November 13th. Uh, so Connor, if you can make time on a Saturday, November 13th, I know you do college football, so it's probably unlikely. But if you get the chance, uh, the Queens baseball convention is where it's at, and I will be there. Yeah, it looks awesome, and I do have to figure out if I could do it with my schedule. I'm finally starting to hit games again on Saturdays when I'm not home uh, watching all of them. So it looks like an awesome event. It seems like it's gotten bigger than ever. Like I don't remember where, a year where Gary Cohen was going. I feel like Gary traditionally doesn't do stuff like that, so that's a really unique yeah. situation. Maybe that's why you got the boot. Did Gary Cohen give you? give you the no no so gary's his own thing uh gary doesn't do anything public so this is really a first of gary doing it uh they've had ron before they've done edgardo alfonso they had brandon nimmo keith hernandez so they've had 
a ton of people. Uh, they always do a fantastic job. The event has only grown year after year. So yeah, the QBC is an excellent event, and uh, you know, I'll I will be a part of it one way or another. Um, I know SNY is probably going to be bringing some some form of event, so uh, maybe my friends over there have me a part of something. But I'm going to be there, and if Connor is, then you know, feel free to meet up with us, buy us beers, uh, whatever. Yeah, it'll be awesome. All right, everyone. Thanks so much. Episode 61 in the books. We'll catch you next week. In a world that's a little simpler comes the tale of Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. It's a corn-growing story without all the drama. Unless you add totally epic music, really random sound effects, and a cool announcer guy. Get ready for the blockbuster yields of the summer with Veltima fungicide from BASF. Coming soon to a field near you. Always read and follow label directions.